Hi, I'm Luke Kiley, and welcome back to my podcast, Tales from the Emerald Rock. As we are on a roll for solving mysteries at the moment, I thought it was only right to discuss the Irish slave myth. Although this became a popular theory in the late 20th century, which is well out of our time period, its origins start deep in the 17th century, especially when the two colonies of Montserrat and Barbados. That is why throughout we will be linking the 17th century documents to the corresponding 20th century myths. The documents will be from the British History Online collection and from Gwyn's archives, and they should allow us to dispel this myth once and for all. So now, I implore you guys to strap yourself in and put your investigation hats on as we seek to dispel the Irish slave myth. I can't wait, personally. So, let's start with this. So to, 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 to debunk the Irish slave myth, we must first understand what it is. The Irish slave myth is a belief that the Irish were sent to the Caribbean by Cromwell and were treated as slaves, similar to the enslaved Africans. Some even argue they were treated as black men in white skins. This originated from, according to British History Online, section October 1655, Cromwell ordering that all English, Scottish and Irish prisoners in Doncaster jail be forthwith sent to Barbados. Aikson suggests that under Cromwell's tenure, it is likely that 10,000 Irish political prisoners were deported to the Caribbean. Really highlights that John Scott, an English adventurer of the time, even stated that the Irish were treated like slaves whilst working, and that it was the first island where he had seen servants being branded with the epithet of white slaves. As well as this account, there were multiple other accounts which spoke of a poor treatment of the Irish in Barbados. For example, according to the minutes of the Barbados Council from January 15, 1656, Cornelius Bryan was sentenced to 21 lashes on the bare back for refusing to eat a plate of meat as it had too much English blood on it, according to his own words. Some even have argued that it was part, part of British official colonial policy to be horrible towards the Irish and to enslave them, as in 1602, within, Ar- within Arch- Arthur's Chichester's private letters, Queen Eli- um, Arthur Chichester is Queen Elizabeth's Lord Deputy of Ireland, he declared that Irish barbarism gives us cause to think them unworthy of other treatment than to be made perpetual slaves to Her Majesty. In addition, in the West Indies there were multiple oppressive legislation against Irish Catholics, and that was in a society with a significant amount of Irish people, and so it affected quite a few people. The idea of Irish poor treatment in the Caribbean became a commonly known part of Irish history. It was so widely known that even at the time, a pamphlet called Barbados, Barbados Merchandise in 1659 was created to raise awareness of the poor working conditions of the Irish on Barbados and propagated the idea of enslaved Irishmen. Furthermore, there were even stories of free Irish settlers coming to Barbados and being forced into denture servitude. For example, according to the Barbados Council minutes in 1654, when Irishman Garrett Plunkett, Finian Martin, and Owen Carthy arrived at Barbados from Ireland as free persons. Yet the council ruled that these Irishmen had a week to become indentured servants, otherwise they would be exiled from the island. Similarly, for those who decided to flee Barbados and head to Montserrat, it wasn't, as Father Mekip uh, stated, a haven of religious liberty for Irish Catholics, but instead they were in for a big surprise. And despite the big Irish pop- Catholic population in Montserrat, there were many oppressive laws against Catholics, 
The most significant one being, according to British History Online section December 1761, being passed in 1701, the Montserrat Assembly removed most Irish, most of the Irish Roman Catholics' ability to vote, as it passed a law that mandated all voters to do an oath on allegiance to the Anglican Ag- Church. This was unacceptable for many Irish Catholics, as it would go completely against their belief system. Um, if you want to learn and have any more evidence of how the Irish were treated poorly in British colonies, you can go to my Excel sheet, which is on my website, where there are over 40 different quotes from British authorities in the 17th century, disparaging the Irish on Montserrat, St. Christopher and Barbados. Now, although all historians were in agreement that the Irish were treated poorly in the Caribbean, the idea of them being slaves only gained popularity in the 20th century. This was mainly due to the works of Beckles and O'Callaghan. Although the Although they stimulated re- stimulated research, which uh, quickly disproved their theories that the Irish were slaves, um, the reason why they gained popularity is because nationalist organisations such as Sinn Féin uh, grasped these theories and ran with them. For example, on social media, um, it it gained really big popularity. Uh, one slave me Irish slave me in, in 2016 was even shared over 55,000 times on Facebook. Despite this seeming like a small number, it did have a big impact. As that same year, the Sinn Féin MP Martina Anderson even tweeted that over five hundred, over three hundred thousand Irish were enslaved by the British. Um, this myth became so propagated and so part of Irish society that in twenty sixteen, eighty two Irish scholars and writers had to sign an open letter denouncing this myth and asking publications to stop mentioning it. Since then. A lot of websites have taken down their articles which encouraged this Irish slave myth. Yet it still continues to be mentioned countless times within politics, um, and especially now in 2022, uh, where the Black Lives Matter movement happened in America. Um, and as Professor Butler said, it became very politicised in that time as a way for white men in America to say we were enslaved too and so they could demean the Black Lives Matter movement. So, even though the slave myth has been tried to get rid of, it still props up, it pops up quite a lot. Despite all this controversy around the Irish being slaves, when you dig deep down into 17th century texts, the answer becomes clear that they were servants, not slaves. The key difference is that their servitude had a time limit, and on average this would be around six and a half years. For example, Shaw highlighted that Cornelius Bryan, by 1678, owned an estate in Montserrat, despite the harsh punishments he found. So he clearly wasn't a slave, as he was able to be freed and even own a state by the end of his life. Similarly, there are zero accounts of Irish children inheriting their ancestors' labour servitude in the Caribbean. So once again, it wasn't inheritable, so it cannot be compared to slavery. Moreover, most Irish entered into indentured servitude willingly, whilst for slaves there was no choice. Uh, this was made clear by Beckles um, within a later work where he hired that Captain Thomas Anthony, a Kinsale servant collector in 1636, reported that the Irish servants were extremely knowledgeable of the terms of different indentures in the Caribbean. Uh, this was such a stint that he had to. He was forced to change his destination from Virginia to Saint Christopher, 
uh, due to popular demands of Irish servants, as they had heard this is where the Irish got treated the best. It is unlikely that Irish would have kept wanting to come to the Caribbean if they were being slaves. Um, this clearly didn't impact the immigration, as according to British History Online section November 1731, the governor of Jamaica, Robert Hunter, declared that Irish papers have been pouring in upon us in such shawls that they have done of late years. That shit, this shows that even almost a hundred years after Thomas Anthony's time, uh, this is the Kinsale Servant Collector, the Irish were still coming to Caribbean. This wouldn't happen if they were, uh, they were only going to the Caribbean to be a slave, would it? Um, I will now read an example of an Irish indentured labour contract so we can compare it to, to compare and show the differences between an indentured labour contract and a slave contract. This one is from March 13, 1679, and it was found within Gwyn's archive, uh, page 278. This is a denture of one Brian Connor. Uh, Brian Connor personally appeared before, before me to acknowledge himself free and willing to stand by the covenants of his indentures, which were that he should serve said Josephus, Percival, or Order in Barbados or any of the Caribbean islands as an apprentice for seven years, and at the expiration of his term to have ten li according to the custom of the country, and during his term to be supplied with clothes, meat, drink, washing and lodging. This clearly shows that a person being, being treated was an equal participant, as this extract shows that he was willingly to, put, to partake of it. Moreover, within the contract, it sets out a certain time limit that it must adhere to, so it wasn't slavery. Instead, as Orlando Patterson highlights, the main difference in treatment was that the Irish were treated as humans within legal code, while slaves were just called chattel and weren't given any level of human respect. This is a key difference, as the Irish, despite receiving poor treatment, didn't experience the dehumaning aspects of slavery to the same degree, and uh, in the legal system, they were still seen as legal human beings. Thus, although in documents it sometimes speaks about buying or selling the Irish, it's important to see this as buying and selling labour contracts and not people. Furthermore, the, dis the key difference will be showcased by using transcripts from Glasgow University of the Barbados Slave Code of 1661. Uh, this is what institutionalised slavery in Barbados and created a legally binding uh, institution around it. Um, it clearly shows that Irish weren't referred as slaves, but instead as servants, as in Clause 22, the slave codes, codes especially made it obligatory for freeholders to acquire European indentured servants in order to offset the burgeoning African slave population. This clearly shows that they were viewed as different by Europeans. Secondly, it states the slave, in the slave code uh, that it was created to protect them, as we do many other goods and chattels, which refers to the slaves as objects, which is very dehumanising. And the key reason we know that Irish indentured servants weren't part of this clause was, unlike the enslaved Africans, they weren't mentioned specifically within it. But also we find out a few years later that they still had some of the rights that were denied in the slave code. For example, clauses 11 and 17 ban slaves from wielding weapons, such as clubs, wooden swords, or other mischievous weapons. However, it was only in 1655, which was 
four years after the Barbados Slave Codes, uh, that Governor Daniel Searle passed a ban of Irish servants possessing of these sort of weapons. This most clearly shows that it wasn't it was they weren't considered slaves, as not all of these laws were applied to them. Instead, they adhered to a different law book called the Ordering of Servants Act. Moreover, it's clear that on Montserrat especially, they weren't slaves, as many of the former Irish indentured servants even became slave owners. Lydia Polisvi for highlights using the Montserrat censuses that the Irish indentured servants, upon being released from their indentures, seemed to set on the worst land for agriculture. She argues this was on purpose, and that it is evidence of oppression they found. However, although this might be true, if you also observe other census information, it indicates that the ex-indentured Irish were the most likely people on the island to own slaves. For example, Aikson shows that in the part of the island where the Irish mainly congregated in Montserrat, the proportion who owned slaves is 33%, whilst in the other parts of the island where the more English planters uh, populated, it was as low as 10%, despite both places being roughly equally populated, give or take. This shows that upon gaining freedom, many of the Irish indentured servants became slave owners. So it's very hard to consider uh, someone as a slave when they are slave owners themselves. Um, in this regard, although some former slaves become slave owners in, in Americas, it is not to such a high frequency as it's with the indentured servants on Montserrat. Finally, to finish this Irish slave myth off, it only holds some credence if you just if you view the Irish as a faceless collective. Instead, if you define them to three key parts, then it becomes clear that they were not slaves. The Irish were split between native Irishmen who were universally Roman Catholic, old English Irish who were mainly Catholic in religion but royalist in politics, and finally the new English who were Protestant adventurers who settled in Ireland in the 16th century. In Montserrat, many of the old English Irish and the new English Irish arrived as free persons and were able to amass great fortunes and even own many slaves. Uh, this has been discussed in previous and future podcasts uh, where there are plenty of examples of different Montserrat families such as the Blakes, uh, Galways and Briskets who came from a wealthy background and were able to use this to gain even more wealth and own slaves. This shows that being Irish wasn't a... A requirement for being a slave like in the same way being African was for a lot of slaves in the Caribbean. In conclusion, although the Irish were exploited and oppressed in the Caribbean, they cannot be classified as slaves as they weren't dehumanised. They also had a time limit on their servitude and upon freeing their, their servant pass, it didn't really affect their ability of economic growth. Instead, they were indentured servants who due to British discrimination were treated worse than normal servants. This is such an important history to explore, as in modern society where information is so easily attainable, and but yet at the same time credible sources cannot always be easily identified, it can be hard to establish the difference between fact and fiction. This podcast wants to try and give you the ability and method to find the truth, and this as we've proved today is through using the original manuscripts and sources as only they hold the true account of what occurred. Thanks for listening. I've been Luke Kiley, and I'll see you next week for another episode. Goodbye.